Good morning. Man, that was fun. I love seeing them up here. Hey, I wanted to say thank you to all of you who came out and uh, helped us out last Wednesday night with our uh, back-to-school blessing. Um, If you weren't here, then you missed the opportunity to see somebody eat 10 hot dogs in three minutes. Who is that person? Can you raise your hand? Where is he? There he is. Sorry, right in the middle. Andrew Lacombe, champion, 2018 hot dog eating contest. And apparently I wasn't enough because he joined in with the pie eating contest too. So um, that's very, hey, there are some things you should be proud of, man. Own it. Just own it. <laughs> oh, that's a typical Wednesday night meal for you, right? That's good. I tell you, this is a, this is a, a, good, a good day to be here. There's a lot of fun going on here, but there's also some good stories that are all around you. And, and welcome, you guys. I'm so glad you're here. If some of y'all are here for the very first time, at AC, how many of you are here just starting out at ASU? Okay, welcome, welcome. That's good. It's awesome. <clears throat> the one thing I've learned is that this is it's a good group of people. Doug's got a good program, and there's, there's some great people who go inside that campus center. Even Paxton is one of those people, and he's a good one to know. So uh, welcome. I'm glad you're here. Uh, You know, a few years ago, I met uh, a couple of kids. Uh, One of them was 11, and I think the other one was maybe about eight years old, about a three-year difference, but they're in in Grapevine there, and um, there there were the kids of of a man that I had met. He had gone to the church there, and this this man is he's just super nice and humble and and the kids are both I don't know how to say it but they're just good kids you know so I'm talking to him about what you talk to 11 year olds about and and he has a little higher language than I'm typically used to coming from an 11 year old and and so I kind of kind of raise up my language a little bit and start talking and then he starts talking about the classes he's taken and 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 I'm like, that's weird. They teach that in middle school, and he's like, oh no, they don't teach that in middle school. Um, and I and I said something else about whenever I was in middle school, I'm trying to make a joke, and it ended up being dumb. And he says, well, you know, my SATs, blah blah blah. I said, oh, you've already taken the SAT, huh? Well, good for you. You know, I took it once and barely passed, and that was all. And he said, yeah, I know I made like a 1500 1600 I don't re- really remember. And I'm like, okay, nice, humble. Turns out this is the very youngest student at TCU. 11 years old he started. Um, he wants to be a quantum mechanic. It doesn't have anything to do with cars, right? Um, I mean, a mechanic's a mechanic, you know, right? No, but he's getting into quantum physics is what he's wanting to do, and he just graduated this past, uh, well, I think it was last May, uh, with his bachelor's in quantum physics. So it's kind of exciting, kind of exciting, a lot of uh, a big to-do uh, about him, but what also needs to be said is that his little brother graduated from high school the very same weekend. He graduated from TCU. So, you know, what I think is interesting about this moment in their life is that the the little brother, the only reason he really wanted to learn is because his older brother inspired him to do as much as he did. So together, they started to really learn and to pursue it and to love and enjoy it. And what I love about it is that they're so humble. The dad is so humble. 
typical kids. They love playing with lightsabers. They love playing little things that kids play with. But you know what? They love to learn. It's part of who they are. It's in their DNA. But they learn with humility. Which brings me to the question, are we open to learning in humility? If we think we've learned everything there is to learn about something, then we have the potential to become a little arrogant and prideful about that something we think we know so much about. And what happens if that something that we feel like we've know, known so much about is Scripture or, or something spiritual? What if we think there's not much more we can learn about a particular text? Could we become arrogant and prideful about, about practicing our faith? You know, arrogance leads to a hard heart. And hard hearts, well, it's hard to teach those things anything. I guess the truth is we all have a lot more to learn. And it's our choice whether we do it intentionally or whether we do it unintentionally. And I will tell you that if we do not choose for ourselves what we're going to learn, the world will choose it for us. And if we do choose to learn, learning on our own will only take us so far. I mean, some of us will go farther, but every one of us will get to a particular point and we can't go any farther. It's like we've hit a wall or, or we're up against something we can't quite see around. And that, that is when we truly need a teacher and a guide. Now, last week we talked about Acts chapter 8. We're going to be there again, so if you want to turn there, Acts chapter 8, or turn your Bibles on and flip to it, when, whatever app you have. Um, the eunuch found himself right here. He had come up against a wall, and he was reading through Isaiah 53 in Hebrew, and he's on this side of the road, on this desert road to Gaza. He knew the language, but for some reason, he didn't know what this passage meant. Isaiah 53. And he'd just come back from Jerusalem, the most holy week possible. We think it was Passover. So at Passover in Jerusalem, everybody's talking about Scripture. Everybody's talking about the promises of God. There's teachers everywhere. There's students everywhere. But for this man, he didn't know. And you know they always read from Isaiah. But the eunuch didn't know. Why not? I wonder. I, I, I think about these things. I wonder if this particular man... He wasn't really considered worth teaching by these religious Jews. And perhaps this eunuch was on his own until this moment because of who he was. He was an outsider, you know, of nationality, of course, but also because of who he was. And if you remember in Deuteronomy, it talks about eunuchs and it talks about, you know, what they are not allowed to do. But in Isaiah 56, it talks about how those people are going to be included into the kingdom of God. But for some reason, this man didn't know what Isaiah 53 meant. Now, it makes me wonder, how many times do these people accept the pomp and circumstance of this treasury secretary, the second-in-command of, of, of Ethiopia? Or they'll accept his pomp and circumstance. They'll accept his gifts. But maybe they didn't really want to get close enough to teach or to even guide or help this man. Which leads me to this point as we begin. There are people out there who are dying to learn. 
But who's going to teach them? Who's going to guide them? Are we going to be the ones to step up, or are we going to leave that to somebody else? I mean, some people are so desperate to learn that they'll learn and they'll just find anyone. They learn by those people who are present, consistent. Maybe they'll even listen to the loudest voice. And if you don't think this is true, look at your kids. I know we know we want to teach them certain things, but you know what? They're more paying attention to what we do than what we say. In those moments whenever you get frustrated because your kid's acting just like you. This is why what you say and what you do, they need to go hand in hand. So how intentional, how consistent, how available are we at guiding others? And what is it that we're really teaching people? Now, I know you may think you don't have the gift of teaching. That may be true. But I want to tell you, we are all teaching something to someone. I don't care how old you are. You're teaching something to somebody. We are all teachers. We are all guides. And where are we leading people? What are we teaching? This is what we're going to talk about over the next few minutes. Let's pray for a moment. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us to this moment and this space with these people today. I know it's not a coincidence that we are here. We didn't just happen on this place, but I know that you have something to say. Lord, I pray that you would help us to just for a moment put aside those things that will distract us and keep us focused somewhere else. Lord, this is an important word from you, and I pray that you would help us to hear it. And not just hear it, but to figure out what it is we're going to do about it. Lord, thank you for those who are here for the 1,000th time. Thank you for those who are here for the first. Lord, we pray that you would bless us today as we bless you and your people. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's look at Acts chapter 8 real quick. Now last week we looked at Acts chapter 8 through the eyes of the Ethiopian eunuch. We looked at it specifically through that. You can go back online, Facebook, you can watch the sermon or you can go onto our website and uh, listen to it. But today I wanted to shift our perspective to uh, this, this event through the eyes of Philip. Now who is Philip? From what we know, Philip was one of the seven deacons that were appointed just a few chapters earlier in Acts. And just to kind of set that up for you just a little bit, uh, there was um, some issues going on. Now, the early church decided we want to help people. So one of the practices was they would find the widows in their community and they would take food to them. Now, you had a couple of different groups. Now, you had those who were kind of Gentiles, brand new into the faith. Then you had uh, Hebraic Jews, those people who are more traditional. Maybe they're locals. Just call them locals. Right? And then you had the Hellenistic Jews. These are, these are Jews who may have had a, a Greek mother or a Greek father maybe, but they were kind of, kind of into the culture a little bit. They weren't much, uh, so isolationist as the traditional Jews were. And so they kind of worked through culture a little bit. They may have had Greek names. They may have maybe had a couple of Greek or Roman practices. They may have lived maybe in the Decapolis. But these were still Jews Uh, And they had joined in with this group, and they were following Jesus as well. So they would take food to all these people. But, you know, as I don't know if it's intentional or not, but the traditional Jews were getting fed first. And uh, at the least, 
the, the Hellenistic widows, they would probably just be chosen last and maybe get the leftovers. But at the worst, they were just getting completely skipped over. And so they started griping about it. And the apostle said, listen, we don't have time for this. We've got other things to do. We just need men to take care of this. We need men who will serve. And seven men were chosen. Philip was one of them. He was chosen because he was, just like the others, full of the Spirit. The Spirit was on him. So this is kind of the, the I guess, the problem that, was, that kind of brought Philip to the forefront here. Now, Philip is a Greek name. We don't hear the word Philip a lot. We know that there's, there's an apostle named Philip, um, and we know this Philip. And some of these scholars actually says that, that the name Philip doesn't appear very much at all in other writings of antiquity. So Philip is a Greek name, but we don't know how many Philips there actually were. But we don't know much more about this person other than he was a servant. He was chosen to serve, a deacon. So let's begin reading in Acts 8, verse 1. This is what it says. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Those who were scattered preached the word wherever they went. So here's hundreds, if not thousands, of followers of Jesus fleeing persecution. And did they go into hiding? No. Did they go and find themselves a quiet little place and kind of keep to themselves? No. (laughs) Those, meaning men, women, individuals, families, they preached the word of God wherever they went. Philip went to Samaritan territory. Now that's kind of in the middle there. It's above Jerusalem, kind of a little bit below Galilee. Um, So Philip went to Samaritan territory. That's typically not a place that Jews are really fond of going to. And there was animosity. You know the stories. We've even talked about them. But it was both sides, you know. If, if you were an unsuspecting Jewish traveler, you could get, um, you know, killed or robbed at the least going through Samaritan territory. And if you're a Samaritan in the wrong part of town, you're going to get hurt possibly. So there was animosity, there was racism, and the reason it's just violent over there, and there's a lot of baggage here. So, so, so visiting Samaritan, Samaria was dangerous. Now, Philip is a Greek name, so I'm just thinking maybe his Greek name was a little bit more palatable to these people, so that they just kind of accepted him in. I don't know, but he had huge huge success there healing people were flocking to jesus and and were this success to happen today if this if he was this successful he would be on every speaking circuit in the church growth seminar world you know how'd you do it philip well i tell you i mean he would be he'd be the keynote for all because people just saying how do you grow your church like that see Peter is so amazed. He shows up. He doesn't even believe it's going to happen. And then he shows up to make sure he's telling the truth. Turns out he is. You have this really cool story about Simon the sorcerer in there. We're not going to get into that. But, but, but Peter is amazed, just like you know Philip is, I'm sure. And this is even before 
Cornelius, you know, whenever Jesus tells Peter, hey, it's okay, I'm going after Gentiles too. This is before that. So there's huge success going on in this place. You know, a modern day version of what's happening like this is in Cuba. Okay, I know a lot of us were kind of against the embargo being lifted, but I'll tell you, you know, the first people were into Cuba, missionaries, God's people, teachers, guides. And I tell you, it is blowing up over there. It's amazing what God is doing in that land. You know, people that we thought weren't maybe worth teaching, government worth saving. You know what? They thought the same thing about Samaria. God did amazing things there. The gospel, whenever it's taught, when people are guided, leads to transformation. So the Spirit had a hand in what Philip did and where he went. And, uh, and, and, you know, the question I have for myself is, what if the Spirit of God led me into a place that was a little bit dangerous and inconvenient? Because he knew I was the only person, maybe one of them, who could guide those people through that. What if the Spirit led you into a situation that was dangerous, unexpected, inconvenient? Because he wanted you to guide those people to heaven. You know, Philip served, he taught, and he guided people who some considered not worthy of learning. So the Spirit said, good job, Philip. You were faithful with this. I've got one more job for you. Verse 26, we're going to skip ahead to verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandaki, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Have you ever felt that nudge, that urge to talk to someone? Maybe to encourage somebody, to pray for them. The feeling like you should at least say something. Have you ever felt that? I will tell you, if you have, if you profess Jesus Christ, if you have the Spirit of God living in you, if you are following Jesus with everything you are, that voice is not coincidence and is not your mind playing tricks on you. That is the Holy Spirit, and He's got a job for you to do. I believe that. I've experienced it. I heard a story this morning from one of our elders' wives. She's experienced it. It's true. Because I believe the Spirit of God in those moments is showing you an opportunity to connect, to teach, to guide. That was what he wants you to do. So what was Philip's response? Let's read verse 30. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. You remember last week we talked about that word explains. Other translations are guide, unless someone guides me. I believe that may work a little better here. Explains explains seems more um, 
it seems like more of an educational response, but this is more of a guiding moment here. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, this seems like a slam dunk for Philip. You take a moment to, to look at the context, though, and what Philip did was, he was pretty dangerous, pretty bold. Somebody, some people may say, Philip, that's crazy. That was kind of ridiculous you running up there. Because if you remember from last week, this man, I do not believe the Ethiopian eunuch was alone. From my study, what I believe is that he had an entourage with him. He's an important man in charge of the treasury of a country and he's you know coming back from Jerusalem on this 1500 mile trip each way he's going to have servants he's going to have armed guards and here's all of a sudden this guy running out of the woods are there woods in in I don't know the running from the side of the road to this man who's reading Hebrew to a people remember and if he's reading it it's usually he's reading it to to people and he runs up there and he says do you have any idea what you're reading <laughs> I love that moment because this Ethiopian, it could have gone either way. He could have been all prideful and arrogant. Don't you see I'm reading in Hebrew, you weirdo? No. What does he say? How can I, unless somebody explains it to me, unless somebody guides me? Have you ever wanted to say that, though, to somebody? Let's, let's say you met the Treasury Secretary here in America. What is, what is their name? We don't even know anymore, do we? What about the Secretary of State? Let's just say any political figure and you ran up to them and said, do you have any idea what you're doing? You laugh because you wanted to say that. But you know the response (laughs) would probably not be good for you. But this man, Philip, he did that. Which lets me know, I don't know if there's any pulled swords or spears pointing at him. But his sole purpose was not his own safety. His sole purpose was that this man go to, go to see God and meet Jesus personally. That was his most important thought. It wasn't his safety. And then what we see is the opportunity God gives him brings the learner and teacher together. And whenever you have both of those come together, it's transformation. I don't... I know you may be scared to take the opportunity. You may be worried about what you say. You don't want to say anything dumb. I'm going to tell you, when learner and teacher get together, it's sacred space. Let's keep going. The eunuch said to Philip, "Ah," he said, please tell me, who is the prophet talking about? Remember, he's reading Isaiah 53. Who is he talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. I don't, I don't know, Philip. We don't know much about him. But I do wonder if he would have ever gone up this way and been so bold to this person if it were not an appointment that was made for him by God. But I believe when the Spirit leads us, when we hear that voice, when we have that urge, that nudge to reach out, our response should be to say yes and to say yes boldly because God set this appointment up. It's a kingdom appointment. It's not our doing. And whenever God sets up an appointment, there's usually a reason. And oftentimes the opportunity to to teach or to guide is divinely coordinated. So, we get to participate in a divine moment. I mean, how humbling is that? 
You know, Philip shares the good news of Jesus. I'm sure he shared his own story as well. And in sharing this story, this Ethiopian learned things only the Spirit of God can teach. And I want to encourage you, I encourage you. Did you know that when the Spirit of God is urging you to do that, when He's urging you to speak, when He's urging you to reach out to somebody, I want you to know when the Spirit is urging you and you open your mouth, it is the Spirit that will be teaching, not you. Every Sunday morning, I pray, Lord, keep my words out of this and you speak through me. It's not about you. It's about the Spirit trying to reach somebody. We just simply have to speak and be willing to journey alongside those that we are called to love and to guide. It says this, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here's some water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. I really love the way this ends, because it shows me that this was never about Philip at all. The Spirit needed him to help a man encounter the living God. And because Philip was willing to follow what the Spirit said, a man's life was changed, as was a nation. Remember last week we talked about this, you know, Nubia, Cush, Ethiopia. Same thing, it was considered to those people the ends of the earth. It was below Egypt, down, and if you don't think one person matters to God and their willingness to to speak matters to God, look at Philip. Philip. And because he said yes, because he ran and boldly spoke, the gospel began its journey to the ends of the earth, which is how Acts started. (laughs) To the ends of the earth. So my question for us is, what could God do through you? Through a simple moment, whenever the Spirit moves you to speak, moves you to listen or to share. And do not underestimate your power or your ability to teach and to guide because it's God speaking through you. It is the Spirit moving you to complete this appointment He has set up. So don't underestimate that. So so teach, guide, speak boldly and journey alongside someone. Do it with those people who are close. Do it with those people who are not. And don't worry if you don't think you're qualified. Or if you don't think, you know, don't worry if you don't think you're a teacher. Because you are teaching. You're teaching with your life. You're teaching with your actions. You're teaching with your your patterns, your routines. You're letting people know what you value by what it is you do each and every day, including weekends and Sundays. You're letting people know what it is you value and what it is you hold true. But also, use your words. Use your words and be willing to go when it's convenient and when it's not. I will tell you, for Philip, I wonder if this wasn't that convenient. Most of the time when the Spirit nudges you, it's it's not going to be convenient. But God wants to do something, whether it's convenient or not.
You know, the only reason we really know about Philip is because he said yes. He said, yes, I'll serve. I'll do it. I'll help. I'll go. We don't know about him still because of his bank account or his education or, or even any other exploits other than what he was able to do in Samaria and with this Ethiopian eunuch. We hear a little bit about him at the end of Acts, but the only reason we know about him is because he decided he was going to serve and follow Jesus with everything he was. Which makes me realize as we close out this series that our legacy, the one that lasts, has nothing to do with us. The legacy that lasts is all about Jesus' legacy through us, through our life and through our story. It's not about our legacy. It's the legacy of Christ. So imagine what he could do through people who said yes, who were willing to guide and to teach Imagine what he could do and the legacy he could leave through you. The print on the world through you. A Jesus-shaped print through you. What could he do? I'm going to encourage you today. It's your choice, really. Pray that God gives you opportunity as we sing in a moment. Pray that he shows you and that those nudges that you may become accustomed to ignoring... Pray that they, he makes them louder and more difficult to pass. Because he will. And I tell you, you will not be the same. Let's stand together and let's sing. We're going to begin another one next Sunday. and I'm excited about September. It's, it's really going to focus on our faith, what that looks like 24-7. So my blessing for you is may the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face to you and above all, may he give you peace. Amen.